Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. Welcome to On the Ball with me, Rick Buecher, on the United Wecast Network. You can see me on FS1, you can hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. You can pre-order your copy on Amazon right now, and it will be released on April 6th. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. All right, there's three topics that I want to hit in this episode The first is the buyout market and what we're seeing with star players from various teams getting buyouts and going to the major markets for already talent-laden teams. I also want to hit where I am with the Clippers and my bandwagon residence, which was certainly the case last season, and then learned my lesson, or did I? And finally, free throw shooting. The free throw shooting routines that I'm seeing from some of our best players that do not shoot a percentage commensurate with their talent and why it seems so obvious why exactly that is. But I want to start with two-time All-Star Andre Drummond joining the Lakers, six-time All-Star Blake Griffin, and seven-time All-Star LaMarcus Aldridge joining the Brooklyn Nets. And what did the Lakers and Nets have to give up to acquire that talent? Not a damn thing. Welcome to the buyout market, a factor in today's NBA roster building so prevalent that when I asked several GMs at the start of the season about how those particular teams might improve themselves without any extra assets to trade or cap money to spend, they said then already, the buyout market. Lo and behold, they were right, which just seems wrong. NBA players have long been regarded by many in the public as overpaid and overly pampered. I've long challenged that thinking, knowing all that goes into making it to the NBA and staying there. It's a pressure-packed grind. It may not be apparent to the casual observer, but the difference in being able to compete at the NBA level 
and not having a single taker among the league's 30 teams is razor thin. Dozens of guys who are in the league one year seem to just disappear the next. Happens every season. Some head to Europe to latch on to whoever will pay them the most over there. Some go to the G League, preferring to play for less, but stay closer to home. Amari Spellman and Scott Labissier are some of the more recent examples. Some just head home, believing they're out and out of sight and out of mind if they go overseas and they don't want to degrade themselves by going to the G League or they see it as beneath them to play in the G League. Uh, maybe a little too risky to be exposed because that's a very cutthroat, not always organized uh, style of play. Certain guys can end up looking bad playing there. Uh, or going overseas, they can get tied up contractually and it can make it difficult that if suddenly an NBA team is interested, their ability to get out of that contract and come over in a reasonable time. Uh, so the guys who stay at home are often working with personal trainers to stay ready, waiting for an injury to happen and the phone to ring. And some of those names, these are going to sound familiar. And maybe you were aware, you weren't aware. Jared Bayless, Jerry and Grant, Jonas Jarepko, Dragon Bender, Ian Clark, Donatus Mautionis, Marco Bellinelli, Mario Hazonia, Kyle O'Quinn. Those are all guys who are overseas right now that were in the league last year. And that's a small sampling. There are other guys who just disappear. C.J. Miles, Tyson Chandler, Damari Carroll, Caleb Swanigan. One minute you're in, the next you're out. Not knowing if you'll ever get back in. And every year there are 60 guys drafted and 30 of them are first round picks, which means a turnover of at the minimum 30 roster spots every single year. Throw in coaching changes, GM changes. It just assures that there will be a lot more than that. I mean, just look at what the, the new GM for the Chicago Bulls, Arturis Karnasovas has done. Uh, Karnasovas has done with the with their team of the 17 players on the roster last year. Nine aren't on the team this year, and he hasn't even been on the job a full year yet. And almost every one of the nine on last year's roster that are no longer there are still in the league. But as players now on teams that didn't draft them, and in some cases throw-ins to make a deal work, there's far less attachment to keeping them. A year from now, some of them are sure to be like the guys I named earlier. And they didn't do anything wrong. They just got eaten up by the natural cycle of the NBA. It's uber competitive. And rest assured, the minute that happens, their lives and their lifestyles change dramatically as a result. The career they've dedicated their entire lives to may even be over. 23, 24, 25 years old, and now you're starting a second career way behind the eight ball. But there is another end to this spectrum, and that's where the recent players bought out reside. Short of becoming the next Antoine Walker, who, for those of you who may not be aware, uh, Boston Celtics 
Uh, I think he won a ring with the Miami Heat toward the end, if I'm not mistaken. But ultimately, Antoine made $108 million in his NBA career, but declared bankruptcy about 10 years ago to protect himself from debts that were three times his assets. I think he was in the red for like $12 million and only had $4 million to his name. Uh, Blake, Andre, and LaMarcus, I do not expect them to be in the same boat. Players today have learned from the uh, very public humiliation of guys like Antoine Walker and have been smarter about their money. At least most of them have been. And in the case of Blake, Andre, and LaMarcus, they have secured themselves generational wealth. Now, from what I know, most NBA fans don't begrudge stars the money that they're making. Those that do, I suspect, are just jealous or worse. If a player shows he can do things on a regular basis, the average human being or basketball player can't do on his best day. And if he's a good citizen, the outrage is at best a distant grumbling at the 300 level. Where player empowerment and player enrichment have gotten out of hand is that the players that are earning that generational wealth, players that are on 20 million and 30 million dollar a year contracts are being paid not to play. That's what happened with LaMarcus and Blake and Andre this year. They're purposely being benched or not even made active for games. Now, I think we're all raised on the idea of giving an honest day's work for an honest day's dollar. That taking a handout is beneath anyone who has the physical ability to push a broom or carry a box. Now, I realized that wasn't tried and true the first time I saw teenagers on Haight-Ashbury. I live in the Bay Area, lived in the, in the city for a long time. Walking down Haight-Ashbury, sitting uh, and, and ran across teenagers sitting on the sidewalk, happily panhandling for change without the slightest bit of self-consciousness or shame. But that said, while there may be some shift and maybe some of it's generational, I'd argue it still holds true for most of us. We would be embarrassed to be looking for a handout when we had the physical ability to do something else. And what does this have to do with the millions of dollars that NBA players are making? Well, uh, it, it, it violates that, that code among us, does it not? I mean, here are guys getting paid obscene amounts of money to do a job, and now they're not being asked to do it. Or, and this is the thing, in the case of Blake, Andre, and LaMarcus, they were put on the shelf by mutual agreement, or at least that's the way that it was publicly presented. Maybe a better way to put it is that their teams conceded to putting them on the shelf until they could be traded or bought out. And I know the media made a big deal about the Spurs attempting to trade LaMarcus and uh, the Cavaliers attempting to trade Andre, I'm not even sure that the that the Pistons went about that charade. They were just, they knew how much he was making. They knew nobody was going to trade for him. They said, we're just going to work something out. I, I, I appreciate that. 
about the Pistons. They were at least honest about where things stood. Nobody was going to trade for Aldridge. Nobody was going to trade for, for Drummond. That was the reality. But the reality also is that those teams were put in the position of having to trade or buy out those players. If they had their druthers, all three of them would have said, you know what, I want to stay here. I want to make the best of it. I want to earn my money. I want to see if I can, I can help us get to the playoffs or get to a better record or simply put in my time for this team. They didn't want to do that or they didn't want to do it under the terms that the team wanted in light of their situations, which in all three rebuilding situations. Now, all three of those players are rep by the same agency, XL Sports, led by the highly respected and powerful agent, Jeff Schwartz. Known him for a long time, always had a good relationship. We have this joke about uh, Dumbo, the elephant. I won't go into it, but it always cracks us up. We've got, we've got a decent relationship, and I, I admire the, the job that he's done. He's built a hell of a, an agency. Um, now, all three of those players, his clients, happen to be with small market teams that have to do a favor or overpay or both to land just second-tier free agents. That's the reality for Detroit, Cleveland, and San Antonio. Getting on the wrong side of someone like Schwartz is not where any of those teams want to be. All three teams are also currently being run by relatively young or inexperienced GMs getting their first shot at showing they can run a franchise. That's a recipe for players, star players, getting what they want when they want it. Now, these are dynamics created by ownership, which means they are dynamics created by the league. Don't think for a minute that Commissioner Adam Silver dictates to the owners what they can and can't do. He has to convince them to adopt his, his vision, whatever it might be, because it serves the best interests of the league, meaning it serves the best interests of the owners. Basically, the song he has to sing for them is, you should do it my way because my way is the best way for you. Now, it's been a long been a strategy by some agents to get their players simply signed to the biggest contract they can get, first and foremost. Doesn't matter what team it is. Cleveland, Detroit, Sacramento, you name it. Doesn't matter the team. Get as much money as you can. And we're obviously talking about below the superstar level. Stars. Guys who are in that the, the middle range. Um, but the idea is get paid. And then figure out how do, you, how do we get you to the team or the city or the place that you actually want to be. Let's, let's get the bag first. And then figure out the location. And th that strategy actually wasn't detrimental for teams signing them even if it was with a small market, because it meant that they could sign a 
player that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise get and then flip him into assets, young players, draft picks, that they might not otherwise have. Uh, you didn't see that happen this year for two reasons. The salaries that star players are making are so enormous that it requires an unwieldy aggregation of players and their salaries to make a trade work under the cap. The Heat, for example, looking to acquire James Harden, would have had to trade Kelly Olynyk, Myers Leonard, and either Andre Iguodala or Goran Dragic just to make the numbers work. And then would have had to add Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow just to make the deal plausible for Houston from a talent standpoint. Now that's, that's a five-for-one player deal. And that might work in fantasy or on message boards, but it's not feasible in the real world. Owners don't want to be... You can say, okay, well, you just cut the guys. You don't. All right, so owners don't want to be paying for a roster and a half of players just to swing a deal. Letting a guy walk, especially if he's a star, earns equity with his agent and sends the message to all the other players in the league that if they come to that team and are unhappy, they won't be held hostage. It's, it's simpler. It still gains a certain amount of equity. And you're going to be paying that money anyway, it, it, one way or the other. So all of this is great for the players. The optics for fans and the integrity of the league, not so great. Players and agents routinely complain that contracts over in Europe aren't worth the paper they're written on and how unfair that is. And it's true. Teams will stop paying a player or abruptly drop him and dare the player and his agent to go to court to get their money because they know that challenging the legal system in a foreign country is daunting. It usually requires hiring a second lawyer or two, uh, flying back over there. You have to be there in person. In most cases, the money in dispute ends up not being much more, if at all, more than the legal fees and the expense of trying to get it. The teams know this, which is why they do what they do. It works. It's the reverse in the NBA now. While Draymond Green complained as a result of how the Cavs or how he thought the Cavs were handling Andre Drummond, complained that teams can disrupt a player's life by abruptly trading him or cutting him at a moment's notice, but when a player asks to be traded, he's suddenly a bad guy. Um, you know, the, the distinction is the majority of players in the NBA are still guaranteed their money, which makes it an odd time to complain about players being mistreated by the league if only because they've never had it so good. They are not only controlling where they want to play, and having a say in who coaches them. In more and more cases, they're deciding who is on the roster with them, aside from getting paid more than anyone's ever been paid. Superstars have always been consulted about major moves a franchise might be considering, but there's a difference between being consulted or informed and having a say or dictating moves. Tim Duncan was always consulted by the San Antonio Spurs. 
But when they decided to trade Malik Rose, his best friend, Tim Duncan didn't have a say in the matter. I'm not, I, from what I know, he wasn't thrilled about it, but he let the organization do their business because they had demonstrated that they knew how to build teams. But he was not happy about it. And I dare say, in today's NBA, it would not have happened. I don't know if Tim Duncan would have had that attitude, but the average star of Tim Duncan's stature would have said, no, that's my boy. You're not trading him. Find another way. Uh, that's happening more often now than ever before. Now, I texted with two, T two GMs about the recent buyouts. One GM from a small market, the other from one of the biggest. And they both responded quickly, and they both responded the same way. They believe it's out of control. Uh, they take issue with it. Uh, and they said that, that it's sure to be discussed at the next GM meetings, if not at the next Board of Governors meeting as well. The issue is this. Stars of a certain vintage who decide they'd rather join forces with younger stars and play for a title rather than kill themselves to drag the teams they're on into the playoffs just to be fodder for those young stars are now doing that more and more either by forcing a trade or a buyout. And by the way, Lakers fans, you have nothing to complain about when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets and the pilgrimage of stars their way, thanks to James Harden forcing his way there from the Houston Rockets. Because Anthony Davis did the exact same thing. And you have a ring to show for it. So there will be no tolerance of the pot calling the kettle black here. And as an aside... I did wonder about that phrase and whether anyone might consider it offensive or racist because, well, as someone in the media these days, it's prudent for self-preservation's sake to ask that question whenever a color is referenced or there is any thought, is this okay? I'm past the days of dismissing out of hand something that, A, appears to me not to be a reference to race. In this case, the blackening of stoveware by fire and the idea that one cooking container is oblivious to a shared trait. Or B, indignantly standing on the grounds that I know what my intention is in using a certain phrase. It assuredly is not racist and how dare anyone suggest otherwise. Well, it turns out several people examined the phrase I just used and came to the conclusion that while they could see why there might be questions about the phrase, that upon further review, it does not espouse racism. And if you have issue with that, take it up with Katie Waldman, who wrote the piece and concluded with the verdict that the phrase did not demand abolishment. The issue with players getting bought out from lesser teams and all congregating with the best teams is that in part it works it's the way the nba works it's why it's not likely that there's going to be anything significant put into place when the gms or the owners meet because the league does its best business i know we're all big into parity I know fans from small markets like to think that they have a chance or want to believe that they have a chance of winning a championship every now and then. 
But the reality is for the NBA, unlike the NFL, is that it is most successful when there are super teams and when those super teams are in the biggest markets. I assure you, the idea of the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers meeting in the finals is a dream come true for all of the owners. Yeah, sure. Uh, Mark Lazary wants to win a championship with the Bucks, No doubt. Steve Ballmer with the Clippers, Stan Kroenke with the Nuggets. They want to win championships, for sure. But the truth of the matter is, when the biggest teams with the biggest brands in the biggest cities have the biggest stars, that is when the NBA draws the most mainstream attention. It's just the reality. And when it draws the most mainstream attention, that's when everybody benefits throughout the league. Milwaukee wanting a cha- winning a championship does great things for the Milwaukee Bucks. Not so much for everybody else. So that's why I don't see necessarily this changing. But there is a certain integrity to the league. There is a certain... Not everything should be the bottom line. And yet, increasingly, that's exactly where we're going. The ability of players to sign mega contracts and then dip whenever they're weary of fulfilling that contract with their current employer does have to be abolished simply because it's gone too far. And I've never known anyone, owners or players, to voluntarily curb a certain practice simply because it wasn't sporting. Trust me, players, star players, still going to find a way to go where they want to go, to recruit the teammates that they want to play with. They'll find a way. It's just become too obscene. It looks bad. This, this is the equation in its simplest terms that is giving the NBA a bad name and souring fans, at least in part, on investing their hearts, pocketbooks, and free time in the league. Players are getting paid more than ever before, sums that provide them a financial freedom their predecessors never enjoyed, and there's a direct byproduct of the league's value being greater than ever before. So I fully believe that they deserve to be paid every bit of it. But this is the equation. They're being paid more than ever before to work less than ever before. Juxtaposing all of that money with players not playing for the sake of preserving themselves through load management, an approach, by the way, that very few people, coaches and GMs included, do not seem to fully understand. And in some ways has become another status symbol for star players. As in, you have to be a certain level for a team to consider you too valuable to risk overworking you. The overall message to fans is players are are getting paid more to work less while the fans are paying more to see them get paid but not necessarily to see them play. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay. So we'll see ultimately where that goes. Um, moving on to the Clippers. I had one foot on the Clippers bandwagon, ready to climb back on when they lost to the Orlando Magic Tuesday night, 103-96, ending a six-game winning streak that included decisive wins over the 76ers and Bucks. And you know what? That foot is still on there. I'm just not going to climb all the way back on just yet. Who they lost to and how was reminiscent of much of last season when... They'd get up to beat the best teams and then messed around and would lose all too many times to teams they considered clearly inferior. And again, against the Magic, they led for most of the game and then lost in the final few minutes with a string of turnovers. But this is why I still believe they're a better team than last year and something has changed with them since... Tyron Lue benched the starters, went with the uh, the subs against the Atlanta Hawks, and they turned that around and came back and won that game. Uh, there's, there's just a different vibe about them. And so I'm not going to put this loss in the same category as the ones I saw last year for several reasons. One, Kawhi Leonard tried to play solid defense all the way to the end. That's not something he did in disappointing losses last year. He rarely showed you the claw persona, which he has throughout the six-game streak and did again against the Magic. He hasn't always done it this year, but since this last run, he's just had a focus and an approach that has been different, something that I've been waiting to see. It looks to me like somebody had a conversation with him and said, you need to get back to being the guy that won in San Antonio and Toronto. And you haven't been that guy here. Now, I'm just looking at specifically the Clippers' last regular season versus this regular season. As we know, the bubble was a disaster for them. Partly self-inflicted partly because of the terms of the bubble. I mean, Montrez Harrell uh, losing his grandmother, being away, getting out of shape, he simply was not a factor. Lou Williams and the whole Lemon Pepper Lou thing was a distraction and suggested he wasn't all in. And as we later found out, a number of Clippers just were not ready to go get it in the bubble for whatever reason and and paid the price for it. Paul George was dragged as a result of his performance there. Kawhi Leonard, to a certain extent, too. They all took a hit. They made some significant changes. I believe those changes have been all, all good. Every one of them. Including one I'm 
I'll, I'll discuss in a second. But in any event, Kawhi Leonard looks like the guy that I think the Clippers thought they were getting at the beginning of last year. And this this is a different Kawhi than I've seen at any point since he's had a Clippers uniform on. Uh, number two, and this is why I think he's different, because when he walked off the floor after the loss against the Magic, he was clearly bothered. Now, in my estimation, he tried to do too much in bringing the win home on offense. He got stuck in double and triple teams and didn't move the ball early enough and then relocate to get the ball back. But I'm going to chalk that up to the fact that he looked at the Orlando Magic and said, you don't have anybody who can match up with me. I think I can go get this. And it's, I'm going to take the responsibility. This is what I appreciate, is that I would rather have a guy who was trying too hard to put the team on his back and have to pull him back, as opposed to, and I hate to say it, hate to bring this name up, but all too often, LeBron does not assert himself uh, and, and his ability on the game to the level that he could. It's gotten much, much better. But there's still times where he's way more passive than than he should be, based on his ability and just overall talent in comparison to everybody else on his team. All right, third. In this particular game, Clippers were without Serge Ibaka, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and Marcus Morris. Those are all candidates to finish the game alongside Kawhi on most nights. And I dare say it would have been a different outcome if half of those guys had been available. Uh, the fourth reason is I'm just I'm eager to see them with Rondo. For those who haven't been paying attention, they got Rajon Rondo for Lou Williams. I said in a podcast a couple episodes ago that moving Lou for the sake of moving Lou and sending a message to everybody was something that they needed to do after the whole bubble fiasco. Uh, I thought they should have signed Rondo last summer, but he and his agent, Bill Duffy, did something I mentioned earlier. They made a point of getting paid first by convincing the Atlanta Hawks to give him a two-year guaranteed deal for money that he would not have gotten. I don't think he could have gotten any place else. And then they went about getting him to the team in the place he preferred, which back in L.A., I'm not even sure he sold his place in Manhattan Beach, and with a team that has championship aspirations and could definitely use him. I believe he could be the guy who holds everyone accountable, Kawhi and PG included, and is a voice that has championship cred. Kawhi has championship cred, he just doesn't have a voice, at least not one that he uses. Rondo potentially could check a couple of boxes that I believe are missing in the Clippers championship equation. So, one foot on, not back on yet, waiting and seeing, but I like the direction that the Clippers are going, particularly if the Lakers current injury issues become a long-term problem. All right. Uh, by the way, if you've seen me on TV, then you've seen pieces of the Mizzen and Main catalog. And if you're looking for dress shirts and slacks that look high-end but feel like your favorite lounge-around gear or workout gear, 
please check out Mizzen in Maine. It's M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N dot com. Their clothing is made of performance wear fabric. It's cool. It's comfortable. But looks as fashionable and as made to fit as well as any high fashion brand and fabric you can think of. And I can attest to that firsthand, having worn all of them at one time or another and having them now sit at the back of my closet. Mizzen and Main, M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Please check them out. All right, last item on the ticket. The free throw routines of some of the best players in the league and why it's painfully obvious why, despite all their talent and frequent trips to the line, that they can't shoot a respectable percentage. I've always found LeBron's constant fiddling with his form and routine amusing, especially since it contains elements that don't make sense. The first, and he's, he still does this to this day, the first is that he doesn't look up at the rim until he started the motion of shooting the ball. Now, if anybody, for anybody out there who has tried to locate a target while they're moving, it's, 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 it's challenging. It's not as easy as sighting your target and, and then firing at it. It's, it would be like walking back and forth uh, throwing darts and not looking at the board until you got to the center market. Walking along, raising your, your dart, and then turning to see the board and throwing at the same time. That's essentially what LeBron does for some inexplicable reason at the free throw line. Uh, he, doesn't start, he doesn't look up at the rim until he started the motion of shooting the ball. He, he stares at some spot on the floor in front of him, seems to be lost in his own thought, as if maybe communing with the basketball gods, asking them to bless this endeavor. And then he lifts his eyes halfway through his shooting motion to see where he hopes the ball will go. He also changes his cadence from shot to shot, uh, but generally shoots it as if in slow motion. And I get that you don't want to rush the shot, and I'm sure he's this is his way of staying composed. But elongating the process is not the best way to get there. But LeBron's travails have been going on for quite some time, so that's really not all that new. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the one that really amuses me right now. He has, for anybody who has not paid attention, he has the referee hold the ball until he's pantomimed his shot without the ball before receiving it. So he steps to the free throw line, holds his hand up, lets the referee know, hold on a second, don't throw it to me yet, uh, pretends to shoot a shot, and then asks for the ball. It's not a bad idea, considering Steve Nash, one of the league's greatest shooters of all time at every level, every distance, certainly at the free throw line, had the same ritual. The problem with Giannis is that his practice routine is different from when he actually gets the ball. In his practice routine, he looks down and lifts his eyes at the last second, somewhat like LeBron. He also doesn't bring the ball to the same spot before going into his shooting motion. His whole motion is different. It's good that when he actually shoots a real shot, he sights the rim 
almost from the very beginning. But practicing one routine and then using a different one kind of defeats the purpose. It's kind of like Jermaine O'Neal. He would bend his knees to take a free throw, but then straighten up and lock them before ever beginning the shot. (laughs) It kind of defeated the whole purpose. I mean, somebody obviously at one point said, bend your knees on your shot. He would bend them, unbend them, and then shoot. Not exactly the idea, but shot a decent percentage, so nobody was going to going to complain. And I'm sure, I don't know how much input. I will tell you this. People are very, coaches, assistant coaches, everybody is amazingly on pins and needles when it comes to instructing players. It's, it's fascinating. Some of it is because there's so many people in the players' ears that they kind of, kind of can pick and choose who they're going to listen to. Uh, but Nonetheless, people are afraid of turning off that particular player. I guess, I would guess that the reason that happens within teams is that if you're an assistant coach and Giannis, and you're supposed to work with Giannis on his free throws, and Giannis decides he doesn't like your coaching, then you're putting yourself at risk of losing your job. So... Guys are not going to be really strict with guys to bring up, and but it still amazes me. I mean, there's some fundamental things with guys, and, and I've always believed players will listen to you if you make them better. And simplifying the free throw routine, I don't know, maybe there's some ego into it. I, I can only guess. I haven't talked to anyone directly who's worked with Giannis or LeBron on their free throws. I just see the result, and it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. The great players who've been in the game, who do everything they can to get to the free throw line, know they're going to get to the free throw line on a consistent basis, know that games can be won and lost at the free throw line, can't be more exacting about that element. It's a very different part of the game. It's... Because it's so sedate and does not take, it's a different kind of athleticism. But it, it, it's extraordinary to me that, that players, great players, don't pay more attention to that. Or that someone doesn't pay more attention to how they're doing it. Other than me, of course. All right. Enough of the sideline critique of free throw shooting. That does it for this episode of On the Ball with me, Rick Buecher. Next week, we will break down the flawed footwork and closeouts at the three-point line. I'm just kidding. We won't do that. Uh, Much like last week, I'm not sure what the episode will have in store for you. I just promise it will be relevant, entertaining, and thought-provoking. In the meantime, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I know you've heard me say this before for anybody who is listen to the podcast before, but it does matter and I would appreciate it. My sponsors would appreciate it. And as I said, there's some other podcasts out there that I believe are not as good as this podcast. And yet somehow, in part because they've been around longer, but still, they have more ratings. They have more reviews. Come on, people. Let's get, let's get together. Let's do this together. Let's raise the profile of On the Ball. Thank you.
And in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.